welcome to the Newberry Report, where grown women read children's books and then argue about them. And today, to close out the 1970s, we're talking about The West End Game by Ellen Raskin. at the Newberry Report Central Offices, where we're here to report to you on the 1979 Newberry Award-winning book, The, the Westing Game. Game. Yay! By Ellen Raskin. By Ellen Raskin. So, this book is extra special, not just because it's great, which mm. it is, and we'll get into all of the whys and wherefores in a moment, but it is the last book of the 70s! Yay! Ever! Ever. No <laughs> other last, books. No books were written in the 70s after this one. Yeah, this is the last Except one. Except for a lot. <laughs> and also the 80s. <laughs> and also, and, and all the, the books that have been written. time. <laughs> this is our first decade that we've completed. Hooray! Go us! Go Woo! us! So we're gonna take a little bit of a pause and look at our lives and uh, respond to some <laughs> feedback and see if there's a way that we can bring back our next decade stronger. Mm-hmm. So um, if you have thoughts about what books you'd like us to do next, what decade you'd like us to tackle, um, send those along, tweet them at us, whatever it is that you use as your method of communication. Write a letter. We know from previous episodes that Carolyn does not write letters. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you can't. Mm-hmm. And I'm pointing at the generic you, not Carolyn. Um Great. So, uh, as I've already said a couple of times, Carolyn Burns is here. Hello, Carolyn. How Hi, are you? Hi, Carrie. I'm great. How are you? Great. Thank you. Thank you yet again for joining me on this ever-changing adventure of children's literature. <laughs> and, of course, we are exploring Newbery Award-winning books. Those are books that have been considered by the American Library Association to be the greatest contribution by an American writer to uh, children's literature written in English in the prior year. So what's fun about this book is Everything? That, that it won. <laughs> it feels like it won against all odds. It's too it's so enjoyable. It's so ah this is my favorite book by the way from my childhood. There are very few books that stand up and Westing Game is one of them. And I'm so excited we get to talk about I'm it. I'm so excited, too. I was a huge um, Agatha Christie fan, <laughs> which isn't children's literature. But I read Wait, a, as a child, as a you, child. Were a ch- you were a fan? Or like as an adult, you've become an Agatha Christie fan? I mean, I guess it depends on where childhood starts. But I was reading a lot of Agatha Christie, like, really young. Like, wow. 10, 11. Uh, I just love them. They're so great. And I would, like, try and figure them out. Um, and I can't remember for the life of me if I figured out Westing Game ahead of the book or not. I don't think I did. Um, Of course, now reading it a second time, painfully obvious. (laughs) But But isn't that interesting? (laughs) I definitely did not get the mystery when I was reading it as a child, or even when I first reread it as an adult and I'd forgotten it. That's true. It was when we started getting the clues Mm -hmm. that I was like, uh, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. I think I remember. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wait. (laughs) But I, I knew there was stuff I didn't remember um, which we'll get into shortly. Mm-hmm. But first, um, we say this about every episode, but in particular, this episode is a mystery. So if you haven't read the book, we might ruin it yeah. for you. <laughs> we don't want to ruin your experience. I would very highly recommend you go back and read this book. And if you keep listening to this podcast, you're going to know how it ends. And that might be great, but it might ruin it for you. So pause, go read the book, come back in a day because it's a quick book. And listen to this podcast then. We're not 
real people. I mean, we are. But the point at which you're receiving it is just a digital copy, which will wait for you. Yeah. So um, we're don't you're not rude is what I'm saying. Like yeah. it's not rude to pause this, come back, but definitely come back after you've read it. After, because we're gonna talk all kinds of crap about it. <laughs> are we good? Everybody's gone that hasn't read it. Great. Okay. Um, so just a quick refresher uh, for anyone that has read it either a while ago or even recently and just wants a quick reminder of what happens. Carolyn, why don't you treat us with a reading of the back of the book? The back of the book. Uh, so this is the synopsis according to the back of my copy of Puffin Modern Classics' Westing Game. A bizarre chain of events begins when 16 unlikely people gather for the reading of Samuel W. Westing's will. And though no one knows why the eccentric, game-loving millionaire has chosen a virtual stranger and a possible murderer to inherit his vast fortune, one thing's for sure. Sam Westing may be dead, but that won't stop him from playing one last game. I want to read that book. Dun, dun, dun. I love it. I love this book. (laughs) Sounds so good. So, um... Obviously, we've hit the do you like it or not section of this podcast, and the answer is yes. So uh, we don't have to spend too much time here, but um, I just love throwing my knowledge of literary devices around. And I have to Ugh. say, oh, hold on. <laughs> it's a good thing. Um, this book is written um, very specifically in third-person omniscient in a way that we have yet to experience. I love it, yeah. Um, in a way that really changes with each person that's that's whose thoughts are being expressed even though it's through this third person perspective although there are a couple of instances which we can get into or not get into where the word i is used in the narration which is interesting mm-hmm. um otherwise it's the narrator really takes on the tone of each person as as the ownership of it sort of flows from one character to another in such a fun way. I love it. Oh, this book is so funny. It's so fun. It's funny. It's interesting. And I think that uh, it's easy to think that this is a very fluffy book. And uh, in some ways it is, but I, I think that it's it's not. It's so enjoyable because it's so well written. And bravo to you, Ms. Raskin, for writing 16-plus characters that are so flushed out. Every single one of them has such a distinct personality and point of view and and way of life and and that's difficult to do. It's yeah. difficult to create one flushed out character and you've created 16 plus. And I, one of them is so a, impressive. One of them is a mistake. Yes. <gasps> oh, the mistake. And I just want to raise this one concern that I had with the continuity of the book and then otherwise I'm pretty much good. Why are are the apartments C and D on every floor? Like, that makes no sense. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> like, normally you have L and R for left and right, mm-hmm. or F and R, front and rear, or N and S, north and south, or just A and B, because that's the beginning of the alphabet. Why do we have 2C, 2D, 3C, 3D, 4C, 4D? I have no idea. I, I missed that detail. <sighs> it bothers me so much. Except the only thing I can think of is that we wanted Ford... 4D. It's Ford. Uh, yeah. She probably shoehorned that in there. <laughs> yeah. That feels like it was reverse engineered. But yeah. 
And also, like, who puts but with a- mysteries? Aren't a lot of things reverse engineered? Oh, Doesn't sure. that inevitably happen when you're yeah. creating a, a just wonderful mystery? But that's so, you I, have you ever heard of an apartment building with apartment C and D being the only apartments on that floor? Like, that's weird, right? No, yeah, it's very strange. So weird. Also, who has a restaurant on the top floor of an apartment building? Very strange as well. Which is explained by the fact that no one goes to it, <laughs> so it's certainly not successful. But. Anyway, okay, great. On to the good things. Uh, let's start uh, at the beginning. Yes. Shall we? Yes. And in this particular case, I literally mean the very first line of the book. Oh, good. Uh, which we haven't really done that much in this podcast. Uh, the first first line, last line. Um, yeah. We should do it more because, man, is that interesting to me. But this book start the Okay, so the very first line of this book is, The sun sets in the west. Just about everyone knows that. But sunset towers faced east. Strange. Do you not? I feel like that's the whole book. Yeah. It gives everything away. Like, now that you know how it ends, yeah. it gives everything away. And yet, though. You immediately get the, like, west-east. Yeah. And how strange. Ah. Yeah. I remember reading it and, and coming back this particular reading for this podcast that I reread it. I knew how it ended. And I was like, <gasps> it's so obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the direction, directionals. Yeah, what although, great foreshadowing that isn't portrayed as foreshadowing. I love it. But I it think, doesn't bother me because a building has is three-dimensional. So one of the sides of the building does face the sunset, like does face west. It's just the back. Or maybe that's why apartment CD faces east and AB are just it's just blank space. It's just concrete. <laughs> <laughs> no side of the building no sunset. faces the sunset. Mm-mm. Um yeah. <laughs> yes, but she immediately says this is not the world that you're expecting. Strange! Exclamation Strange! Point. Exclamation point! I love. I just what a wonderful way to open a, a book. Yeah, I think it's just and a mystery on top of that, and then to have East and West play such a pivotal role yeah. in the all four answer, North, East, South, and West, all the cardinal directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. Uh, speaking of stuff that happens like right away, mm-hmm. that nobody noticed when they went to go see the apartments that their name was already on the mailbox. Yeah. Uh, in one day, Bar- uh, Barney Northrup had rented all Sunset Towers to the people whose names were already printed in the mailbox in an alcove off the lobby. Like, what? That's so creepy. Nobody looked. I know. And six letters were delivered, just six. Six appointments were made, and one by one, family by family, talk, 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 Barney, Barney Northrup led the tours around and about Sunset Towers, and every single one of them booked it. Who is that inclined to move? I feel like that, yeah. that's a dangerous game you're playing here, but uh, he knew. Sam Westing, because you are assuming everyone is going to move in and be a part of this. Oh, gosh. We just skipped over page two. I can't even believe we did this. So one, two, three. The fourth paragraph starts with, the delivery boy was 62 years old, and there was no such person as Barney Northrup. What? This whole, can we just read the whole first page? Is amazing. There's so much that's laid out. And, like, you come to find out, and this is part of why I love this book so much, is that there are so many red herrings. Yeah. There's so much misdirection and misleading and things that never pay off and things that do and things that don't. Like, I— Oh, I didn't—I don't know if I feel like things don't pay off. I love how honest this book is, like, uh, that, uh, like— she says outright what what matters and what doesn't in a lot of cases. Like, the letters were signed Barney Northrup. Two sentences later, 
no, next sentence. And there was no pers- such person as Barney Northrup. I'm like, that already tells me, like, what? And it lets yeah. me question immediately whether anybody is anybody. I love that the uh, letter that gets that is signed Barney Northrup mm-hmm. has a list of bullet points of why you should move into this apartment, the last of which is et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> I also love, P.S., I am also renting ideal space for a doctor's office in the lobby, a coffee shop with entrance from the parking lot, and a high-class restaurant on entire top floor. Like, if someone delivered that letter personally to me and that's exactly what I was looking for, I'd be like, how is the This is a trick. Yeah. <laughs> no one seems to be weirded out that they are uh, very obviously being led into living here. I mean, there's no way to know. Like, I there know. are doctor's offices all over the city, you know? Yeah, but it's just a delivered letter to them what i get so much spam mail that i just throw out <laughs> yeah well this was at a time when people opened their mail carolyn yes, and um, they sent letters gosh you're right carrie yeah. i'm so sorry it's okay uh and what's with this one-way glass right <laughs> the whole building is made with one-way glass so that you can see out but you don't ever need curtains so that you can always see and no one can see in yeah on you which sounds like so it's always tinted Right? Or is it a mirror glass? I don't know. I don't know, but uh, that's... Apparently a big selling point of this building. New York needs more of that. Mm Because every time I walk past a high-rise and I can look right into someone's living room, I just think how weird and awkward that is. I don't want to know what you're watching on TV. Yeah. So where should we jump in? There's just so much to unpack in this mystery. Uh, I love... I don't know. I love Barney Northrup, even though there's no such person as Barney Northrup, because he says to each person, um, there's only one apartment left. So each time he says there's Mm -hmm. only one apartment left. And then, which we know is a lie because he says it from his first appointment. Mm -hmm. He's a salesman that night. Yeah. And he says, "You're oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're really in luck, Barney Northrup said for the sixth and last time. There's only one apartment left, and you'll love it. It was meant for you. Mm-hmm. Page five. They're talking about all the people that have moved in now. Who were these people, these specially selected tenants? They were mothers and fathers and children. A dressmaker, a secretary, an inventor, a doctor, a judge. And oh, yes, one was a bookie, one was a burglar, one was a bomber, and one was a mistake. Barney Northrup had rented one of the apartments to the wrong person. And what's crazy. Uh, <laughs> if that alone does not make you want to keep reading this book, you are a robot person. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, robot people. What I love about this that I don't know if I realized until maybe just this moment is that it never says there's a murderer there. Mm-hmm. Which we assume is because the murder hasn't happened yet, but in reality it's because there is no murder. He even makes a good point of saying that even in the will... He says, one of you took my life from me, and nowhere does it actually say murder. But it's just the way that we perceive things, and it's the way that people respond to a situation that everyone assumed he was murdered, and it never happened. How intriguing. And he tells them it's what you don't have that matters, and like tells them to work together, and they don't do it. And Theo's like, I think we should all work together and look at our clues, and everyone's like, no. And I love that it very specifically says it's not what you have, it's what you don't have. And Theo and Doug, two of the younger people, are the only ones that take that to mean, like, hey, let's pool our clues. Yeah. I feel like this whole thing could have been solved so much earlier. Although, I got to be honest, once you pull the clues and you figure it out, it still is a red herring that leads to the long answer. 
Um, <sighs> but that to me, even as a child reading it, seems so obvious. You know, like we yeah. as a reader are given all of the clues. Um, and I just had a great time reading this, knowing that it was America the Beautiful. Uh, I actually had a bookmark that I wrote the words out to America the Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And as they came up in clues, I, I underlined them so that I could, like, solve it as I went. <laughs> so you knew that was the answer or you just I realized? did. Well, I remembered oh. I remembered that all the clues were America the Beautiful yeah. and I remembered the North, South, East, West. But I couldn't remember, like, exactly how they tied together. Yeah. And they kind of don't. Yeah. It, it it's still like I still have problems with the ending and with like what the mystery is and what all the clues mean because like you kind of well it's this weird sort of revenge fantasy yeah. that he's executing but in the process of it realizes that he I think everyone is able to come to like a good place about stuff and everybody's mm-hmm. able to reach some kind of closure through the process of this game which it's unclear if he anticipated or whether he was just still mad at Bertha and like wanted to take revenge out on her which yeah. is odd because he has this um, private investigator following his ex-wife around for her whole life yeah. who spoiler alert falls in love with her <laughs> yeah the, the humor overall in this book is just so fantastic like what uh, arguably what sort of starts the um the excitement of the book because we have this like weird sort of residential situation where people are just moving mm-hmm. which it's we're only have these like tiny snippets of what's interesting about it barney northrop is introducing everybody but he's not a real person the names are on the mailboxes before they even move in. Mm-hmm. You know, they were clearly specifically ID'd for this place. And but, one is a mistake. And one like is a mistake. These, Who is the mistake? <sighs> um, but um, what gets them going, it, what gets Turtle into the mansion in the first place is um, the story that Otis Amber tells, the 62-year-old delivery boy, <laughs> who they consistently call delivery boy. Yeah. Um, even though he's 62 years old. Delivery man. Yeah. <laughs> At what point do you become a delivery man? Never. Never, apparently. Yeah. Tells this scary story about some kids that broke into the Westinghouse and saw the dead. We don't know what they saw, but they came out running and their hands were covered in blood. And all that one of them would say was purple waves, like, over and over again. Um, and so uh, all three shivered listening to the story. Um, uh, uh, Doug... Theo and uh, Turtle. Mm-hmm. Poor kid, the doorman said. All that pain and suffering for a dollar bet. Make it two dollars for each minute I stay in there and you're on, Turtle says. Yes! <laughs> like, She's so great. Bring it! And she does. She goes in. She stays there for a certain amount of time. She does, you know, we all know she gets freaked out. She runs yeah. out, you know, because she touches the the dead, the supposedly dead corpse's hand, which is a wax dummy. Yeah. Uh, and then she runs out and she's so scared. And, like, the first thing she says is, like, you owe me $24. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was like, the gumption on this kid. Yeah. Am I right? Uh, she wants is... to be paid for the work that she does. Which she deserves, you know. <laughs> We'll be right back with some more after this break. This episode of the Newberry Report is sponsored by Payfully. Renting your home or spare room can be a great way to earn some extra income, but actually getting paid can take months. That's where Payfully comes in. Payfully is a safe and secure way to get paid for your upcoming reservations within 24 hours of them being booked. 
PayFully deposits directly into your bank account with funds usually available the same day. It works with all the major platforms, Airbnb, VRBO, HomeAway, and others, and they've helped thousands of hosts expand their business or cover unexpected expenses. Visit payfully.co, that's P-A-Y-F-U-L-L-Y dot C-O, for $20 off your first request with code Newberry. That's payfully.co, promo code Newberry, N-E-W-B-E-R-Y. Hello, listeners. Are you a business owner? Your next customer might be listening right now, just like you are. You can let them know who you are by sponsoring this show. Just email us at hello at citizenracecar.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at citizenracecar.com. And now more on the Westin game. The whole thing stunk so much of like how much is being purposefully set up by Sam Westing slash Sandy, Sandy slash, slash Barney Barney slash, slash Julian Julian Eastman yeah, yeah. Um, and how much just sort of happens to fall in place yeah uh, and I think you can make the case for both of them you could make the case that like he really was like the architect of all of this and really set out every single aspect of this to be put into motion um, but you could also say that a lot of it happens sort of secondhand um, but like what how interesting so my favorite part of the novel by far uh, is when so we so Sandy is set up with Judge JJ Ford, um, JJ Ford, yeah, Judge JJ Ford, and they're the partner selection, which in itself is strange that like Judge yeah. Ford is one of the only people other than Crow that has had copious experience with the actual man as a person, yeah, and yet she for all of her hard work and, like, deduction skills, cannot figure out that she is standing across from Sand Westing this whole time. Right. You would think that his voice would sound like him or, or anything. I mean, I understand that he, like, puts in fake teeth and he, like, he had this car accident, so... That, like, messed up his face. Yeah. yeah I, I get it. But I, people still know what Mark Hamill looks like, even yeah. after his car accident. He did a whole other Star Wars film. Yeah. Great movie, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> So Sandy is is his, her partner, uh, which in itself, if you think about it, is just absolutely crazy. But then he becomes this like quasi private eye for her, and he starts coming up with all of these uh, biographies of yeah. all of these people that they're investigating, which is fascinating because he obviously knows everything. Yeah. So it's um, just what he opts to give to her to share with her. Uh, and reading this, knowing that, like, again, I can't stress enough, like, if you've read this book, read it again knowing yeah. how it ends, because it just makes everything so I much more interesting. I forgot that it was Sandy, so I wasn't, I should read it again knowing that it's Sandy. Yeah. Uh, so they're talking about, like, Sidel Pulaski, which we find out is the mistake. It was supposed to be Sybil Pulaski, and he found the wrong person. Uh, and he's reading her bio, and the judge says, strange. A suspicious malady, no apparent Westing connection. Somehow, Snell Pulaski did not seem to fit in. <laughs> yeah, he just commits to the mistake, though, clearly. Yeah. Because he figures it out at some point, but opted to just keep going with it. Because yeah. the judge, I think, is the one that finds the... She figures it out. They find yeah. the letter from Sybil Pulaski, yeah. and she goes, Pulaski, not just Pulaski, Sybil Pulaski. Sam Westing wanted Crow's childhood friend Sybil Pulaski to be one of the heirs. He got Sidel Pulaski instead. And he says, gee, judge, I never noticed that. Boy, am I dumb. But what does it mean? <laughs> 
And she says, what it means, Mr. McSuthers, is that Sam Westing made his first mistake. Which, uh, let's just delve into this character's mind for a minute and being told that and being like, oh no, like she's figured me out. Do you think he doesn't figure out that it's a mistake until that moment? I think he's figured it out before then. Like after he's put things in motion and before then. And I think it's really joyful for him to see her come up with it. Uh, and to be able to play like the idiot. Uh, and he even like, I feel like in some ways he really is laying it out for her. So he he does the crow biography. Right. And he says, uh, married at 16, divorced at 40, ex-husband's name, Wendy Winkloppel. Which we find out is the yeah. fifth alias of Sam Westing. Yeah. Which that to me seems like would be a very easy thing to fact check. Yeah. <laughs> that when never it... really happens. Like that Sam Westing, like yeah. the the sort of public figure Sam Westing changed his name. It almost looks like he's like putting it in front of him being like, figure this out. Yeah, Please but, figure this out. Yeah. I think it, it's, that stuff was a lot harder to figure out before records were so readily available. Yeah. Before Wikipedia. <laughs> Because now it's like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, like, Cary Grant's real name is uh, whatever it is. I forget what it is. Bad example. But, like... Wendy Winklopple. <laughs> but, of course, like, all these famous people's, like, real names or whatever, and it's, like, really accessible information now. But I think it just was less so. Yeah. In the 70s. Yeah. The Winklopple, I think, was the first time I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> well, then a few pages later, they come across yeah. the Grace Windsor-Wexler, and they're like, oh, Windclopple is yeah. her maiden name. That must be the connection. You're like, yes, but there's a bigger connection. Yeah. It's just, ah, there's so many, like, <sighs> my, so much minutia. Why don't you think Crow recognizes him? Like, do you really think? It just makes me so nervous that, like, I could be married to someone for my f- whole ad- formative life. 16 to 40. Yeah. The majority of my formative life and like not recognize them post-car accident. Yeah. That seems crazy to me. I think that's a a bit of... It's so sad. There are a couple like suspensions of disbelief that has to have to happen for this novel to take place. And I think that's one of them. Well, she's also gone a little bit crazy, but it's still surprising that she doesn't recognize him and like really really sad yeah that she never gets the like forgiveness that she sort of needs from him i think it's sad too that she she has this sort of like strange affinity for angela and the whole because she looks like her daughter novel and she keeps keeps saying like you look like violet the westing daughter and to find out that like that's her own daughter that killed herself because she could see angela being pushed into the exact same situation like oh how heartbreaking and also it's crazy. She she does nothing though. She doesn't step in. She doesn't make a speech, being like, yeah. "Follow your heart, your dreams." She just sort of keep, continues to play that. Like she still can't be the mother she wants to yeah. be. Yeah, she's still locked into her understanding of uh, of what she thinks is right, but she knows what she did the first time wasn't, and <laughs> so she's trying to do something different. The uh, Theo and Chris's parents are not included because they would have recognized Bertha, right? Oh. But Bertha lives in the building they live in. I know, but they never see her, I guess. I still... Uh, th- th- here's here's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Even at the end of this, when everything sort of comes together and you get this resolution and you sort of figure out what the Westing game was, there are so many factors that I still don't understand. Like what? 
like why certain people were in it to begin with and sort of where why he wanted to implicate Crow in the first place. I guess you could say, like you said, that it was sort of this revenge fantasy kind of thing. Um, 13 reasons why Crow is in this game. <laughs> Uh, but he doesn't even, he ends up giving her money in yeah. the end. And uh, so, which seems strange to me. I'm like, if he really wanted to have this like revenge fantasy, why does he let her off in the end? Yeah. Is it just to torture her? She doesn't really get tortured though. You know, I, I think part of it is, and I don't, I can't figure out if it's because of his uh, partnership with Ford or whether he's decided ahead of time. But I think he, I think he didn't, he did it explicitly for the revenge and then in talking with Ford and like having to her her desire to save Crow from whatever the evil plan is like helped him turn a corner and helped him just like let go I mean it seemed to be his farewell tour yeah like it seems like these aliases were like for him like he kept trying to live life and it not going the way he wanted to I guess mm-hmm. um, although arguably both Sandy and Barney seem to be made up primarily within the last two months <laughs> they seem to be specific to this endeavor as opposed to Sam Westing and Julian Eastman who Eastman is is actively and visually taking over the company yeah um so I don't know. I think it was, yeah, this sort of I am letting this part of me die and I'm moving on. And in order to do that, I need to reconcile this anger I have for my ex-wife. Yeah. And this is how I'm going to do it. But then also there's another game. Figure out who I am and yeah. I'll come mentor you. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, I don't know if you got the gist, but like I don't know if you felt the same way, but from the very beginning of the novel – it to me was pretty obvious that like Turtle was going to save the day. Yeah. She was just such a broad and interesting character like yeah. th- that of course you kind of I I feel like she has a bigger role to play versus a lot of these other interesting people, you know. Yeah. Theo and 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 Doug and and all of these adults. Uh but there was something always special about Turtle and it's true. She ends up being the one that yeah. figures it all out. But at the end, the last 10 pages is a five years later epilogue and then a Question unknown mark. 20 years later epilogue, yeah. um, which I think that certain people, from what I've had discussions in the past about this book, a lot of people kind of have differing feelings about because mm. it is kind of taking this novel and tying it up in that like nice little like rom-com bow that happens. <laughs> I use rom-com because that's uh, yeah, historically sure. the type of story that ends all things tied up very neatly. Um, but I, mean, I love it. Shakespeare did it first, but I fine, mean, fine, fine. All right, Shakespeare. We get it. You're great. Whatever. Um, but I loved it. I think that to end yeah. this just with like the, the way that things ended with the game would have been a disservice to these characters. Yeah. And it was interesting to see sort of like the people, you know, I, I think it was a little bit heavy handed in the sense that like, oh, the things you do as a kid are the things that you still do as an adult. You know, like I'm a runner and now I'm an Olympic runner. Like well, I'm I mean, this and now I'm this. To be an Olympic runner, you have to run. Of course. Of course. Uh, it was a little bit heavy handed. I will acknowledge that and I will appreciate that. But I liked it. I liked being I able it, yeah. to be told how things end up. And uh, and I think the most interesting part of the of the epilogue and I would be curious to know your thoughts mm-hmm. um, are that Angela and Denton Deer end up together oh I loved it I loved that oh you didn't like it you no know. I just think it's so yeah 
interesting. The entire book is sort of set up for Angela to be so uncertain about her future with him and so uncertain about her as a person. And then to find out, like, okay, she took some time. She sort of found herself as a person and then still came back and found, like, that love still existed between them and that, like, it wasn't just an arranged marriage by her mother, Grace well, Windsor Wexler. <laughs> I don't think it was. I think they met in school and actually did like each other. But because they stopped being the people that they each liked, yes, they weren't able to stay together in a way that felt strong. So that when they were able to go and do be the people that they wanted to be, it, they could find that relationship and again. come back to each other oh, I, I thought so it was nice. lovely oh, yeah yeah i loved it oh. i think for me the only thing that i was like mm, this is a little too convenient is mm-hmm. uh who's on first who's on second who's on third who's on fourth and who's on fifth <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's a successful restaurateur now yeah um i liked it though grace needed to find her purpose you know mm-hmm. she just wanted to be like fancy for the sake of being fancy and I think that her and her husband's relationship was kind of strained because like he couldn't really provide that for her yeah um and she just needed to go off and do her own thing and I I I love that about it you know the night that they get drunk and like she oh Oh, so sweet um can we talk about how like inappropriate it is that she constantly is like talking about how great Angela is (laughs) and how bad Turtle is it's Awful. So bad. Which uh, which is doubly strange because Angela is so self-conscious and, and sort of meek and mild and, and not really like living her true life. Yeah. And Turtle is like this wonderfully like eccentric, strong, brave, wonderful character. And like, stock, stock, uh, <gasps> stock market follower. Yeah. How interesting. And for a mother just being like, no, this is the child I want. Like the China doll yeah. kind of child. And, and this other one that's, uh, you know, we call her Turtle, which is. Because she looked like a turtle when she was born, like popping her head uh, out of the <laughs> blanket. So funny. Um yeah, there's a there's a lot of resentment there. I think with both children, obviously Turtle feels pushed over and and or looked over and and not supported and all of this stuff. And she gets the closet for a bedroom. Yeah, and Angela like resents all of the attention that she gets and doesn't feel like she deserves it. Which in a lot of ways she doesn't. She yeah. hasn't. It's she hasn't accomplished anything for in her life other than getting married, getting a man, which is not an mm. accomplishment. No. Everyone, that's not. What um, is with her obsession with the stock market, though? Like, what a weird thing to be into. What a great thing to write into a character that's, like, a preteen. Uh, but it's weird because her dad's a bookie, so it feels like a little bit like an addiction. Yeah, very possibly. Um, but her dad even turns his life around. Yeah. <laughs> Begins cracking down on people like himself. Yeah, everyone just sort of finds their place uh, in the epilogue. And I, I just think it's really it's really fun to see. It's. I think it's okay because, I mean, obviously it's okay because it's great, but it's okay because it's like all a product of this guy's manipulation. Yeah. Like he even manages to create a world in which Turtle can't tell her husband like who she goes to visit yeah, every Saturday. That I didn't understand. I, didn't, <laughs> I know. Why does she keep it a secret? I really don't get it. Um, in a way, I feel like it undercuts the success that she has um, because – I feel like she thinks that she's owing it all to him, which uh, financially, like he does, um, well, he mentors her. her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
But I think it does them both a disservice to not credit him in this way. And it's weird because she decides, it seems, in her faux court scene, which, ugh, played all the right notes for me. Great scene. (laughs) Great scene. Like the classic detective revealing step by step how the killer did it. But in this like, yeah, in this fantastic childlike way that everybody just goes along with for lack of a better option. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like arguably that last chapter 30, the end question mark is sort of this sense of like how Turtle figures out to negotiate the world is sort of a a guide or a key to like how we can keep moving through it except for the fact that she does not tell anybody about <laughs> Julian Eastman and Sandy and uh, Sam Westing all being the same person Okay, so I have two illusions. Here's the first one. The first one is sort of a parable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, again, a very veiled, uh, thinly veiled illusion. So Turtle says to Sandy, Sandy, tell me another story. Oh, no, is that what you have? No, I have another one. Oh, but okay. that's so funny. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Once long ago in the olden days, there was the soothsayer who predicted the day of his own death. That day came, and the soothsayer waited to die and waited some more, but nothing happened. He was so surprised and so happy to be alive that he laughed and laughed. Then at one minute to midnight, he suddenly died. He died laughing. And I just feel like, man. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> but then the next sentence, he died laughing, Turtle repeated thoughtfully. That's profound, Sandy. That's very profound. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. It's like, we can believe something terrible or something is definitively going to happen that appears to be out of our control. But in reality, it, it, we still have control at the end of the day. It's only surrendering control that we lose it. You know, like yeah. as long as you actively take part in your own life, um, you can keep doing it the way you want to do it. Yeah. It was very difficult to pick a, a general illusion of life. Yeah. But I thought that this one was nice in the fact of like, this this book is a um, this book is a mystery. Yeah, and I really loved that as a child, uh, and I think that this kind of pertains to that. And it's um, they're referring to a line in the will mm-hmm. they're talking about, and it's the heir who wins the windfall will be the one who finds the fourth. It was so simple once you knew what you were looking for, and like for me. <laughs> I love it because I was reading this book again. Yeah. Uh, and being able to, like, follow the mystery along as it happened. And also just that – isn't that a little bit how life is like? Yeah. Like, once things happen, everything seems like it all fell into place, which is not how it feels like when it's happening. Yeah. But once it's all over, you're like, yeah, everything kind of happened for a reason. And I liked that. So this is uh, after Sadell. Is that what you said? Sadell and uh, Angela are in the hospital. Sadell for being one of the victims of the bombs and Angela for being a victim of her own bomb. It's two separate attacks. And they're next to each other at the hospital. And uh, Turtle is coming to say, like, don't worry. I know that the bomb you did the bombings and I haven't told anybody. Don't worry about it. And to just check in on Angela. Um, but unfortunately, uh, Sadell is there in the room, too. So she has to sort of be coded about it. Um, but Stella is, of course, pissed off turtle because it's like her <laughs> MO. 
And um, she says, ridiculous. Sadell says to her, ridiculous. You're just jealous of your sister. Maybe, Turtle had to admit. But I am what I am. I don't need a crutch to get attention. Oh, oh, she had gone too far. And then Angela says, Turtle didn't mean it that way, Sadell. Angela said quickly, she used the word crutch as a symbol. She meant, you know, that people are so afraid of revealing their true selves. They have to hide behind some kind of prop. And like, man, if that's not true. (laughs) If that's not an illusion of life for Angela, I don't know what is. Or like me, (laughs) for Sandy, for for everyone. For everyone, yeah. Andy had, Angela hid behind her ring, it seemed like, you know, her engagement ring. We all hide behind something. Ugh. I love these, this is like apropos, I suppose, of nothing, but I love these candles that Turtle made at camp that like burn down the different colors with each hour. Which ended up being yeah. a very big plot point yeah. later on Well, they were the, the burning down of the Westinghouse. Right, but they were um, the tool of most of the bombs, too. Yeah. Ugh. And that you could plan when the bomb was going to go off based on the number of rings. So cool. I love it. All right, let's rate this sucker. One hundred out of one hundred. <laughs> <laughs> no joke attempt. At no all. joke. No just, joke just at all. Great. Um, I will rate this book uh, eight solid pairs of people. <laughs> oh, nice. I was gonna give it ten Fourth of Julys. <laughs> <laughs> 1,000 fireworks. Yay. Pew, um, pew, pew. Seriously, I can't stress enough. Go out and read this book. Yeah. It's so good. It's just so good. And it's so fun and interesting and, and just ugh, it's such. It's it'll be a good few days of your life. Or one day. Or one day. Depending on how fast you read it. I don't know. Well, or one year, depending on if you read a page a year. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not even 300 pages, right? It's only like 200 something. Mm-hmm. 173. Or um, a great 173 days of your life. It'll be a great 173 days. <laughs> well, Carolyn Burns, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Carrie Caston. That has been the 1970s. Woo! What? Where will we go next? When will we go next? <gasps> when will we go next? <laughs> uh, you'll have to tune in in a little bit to find out. We're going to take a little break, um, and then we'll come right back at you with a whole new Decade. decade. All right. Happy reading. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Join the conversation and tell us what you thought about the book on facebook.com slash Newberry Report. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y Report and at Newberry Report on Twitter. And never miss a show by making sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and all your favorite podcast apps. You can also find our show and some other terrific podcasts at www.racecarradio.com. The Newberry Report is hosted and recorded by me, Carrie Caston. My co-host is Carolyn Burns. It was edited by Austin Cologne. Our executive producer is David Hoffman. The Newberry Report is a production of Race Car Radio.